We're so resilient as people that we can deal with a lot of stuff. And if you pull back on the intensity and you give your body a chance to heal, we're also remarkable healers. You know, you give yourself the right ingredients, we'll heal from, I mean, from a lot. And um, I had to go through that experience firsthand and people watched me go through that experience and they're like, Marcus, what are you doing? I want to try that. What's that thing? And so I had to give it a name. Um, I mean, I intentionally gave it a name to let it create a, an identity. And now it's like a couple years into it. It's like, there's a very, you know, clear look and feel to doing functional bodybuilding workouts. This is episode number 117 with Marcus Philly. This episode is brought to you by ButcherBox. I'm very excited to share with you a brand new offer from ButcherBox this month. In addition to $20 off your first order, ButcherBox is giving away free burgers all summer long. If you go to butcherbox.com forward slash Julie before August 8th, you'll receive a pack of six free burgers in every single box you receive from now all the way until October 15th. If you've been listening to Pursuing Health, it should not come as a surprise to you that I care a whole lot about where my food comes from, and that's especially true when it comes to meat. I do believe that meat can have a place in a well-rounded diet, but there's a huge difference when it comes to animals raised in feedlots that are fed primarily corn and soy and routinely given growth hormones and antibiotics, and those that are responsibly raised, fed their natural diet, and not given any of these growth hormones or antibiotics. It's really, really hard to find high-quality meat like this these days, but ButcherBox makes it super easy because they deliver 100% grass-fed and finished beef, free-range organic chicken, heritage breed pork, and wild Alaskan sockeye salmon directly to your doorstep. All of their products are humanely raised and never, ever given antibiotics or hormones. This gives me personally peace of mind because I know that I can trust my meat is the highest quality out there and is going to taste amazing. Plus, they offer free shipping anywhere in the contiguous 48 United States, which is awesome. ButcherBox has put together a very special deal for all Pursuing Health listeners from now until August 8th. When you order your first box, you'll get $20 off plus a pack of six free burgers in every single box you receive from now until October 15th. This is the perfect way to celebrate summertime with lots of outdoor grilling. Once again, that's butcherbox.com forward slash Julie to get $20 off your first order and free burgers all summer. But hurry up and check it out now because the deal is going to end on August 8th. Welcome to Pursuing Health. I'm Julie Fouché, family medicine resident and former CrossFit Games athlete. Here, I bring to you information and inspiration from experts and everyday individuals for how to use lifestyle to maximize health. Thank you so much for joining me. Now let's get started with this week's episode. Hey there, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. Welcome back to Pursuing Health. In this episode, I am very excited to share a conversation that I had with Marcus Philly, who it turns out I have a lot in common with, but this was the first time we really got a chance to sit down and chat. Marcus is a six-time CrossFit Games athlete. He's also the owner of Revival Strength, and he's a catalyst behind the functional bodybuilding movement that you may have heard about. As I also just recently learned, Marcus is a former medical school student, but he eventually decided to step away from medicine in order to help people improve their health through training. Marcus has a background as a Division I soccer player at the University of California, Berkeley, where he also earned a degree in molecular biology. He currently lives in Northern California with his wife and his two young children. 
Marcus and I had a great conversation about the many different parallels in our lives. We talked about our decisions of pursuing medical training, the application process, our competitive CrossFit careers, and ultimately discovering our true purpose. Marcus also shed some light upon the distinction between functional bodybuilding and other styles of training, as well as why lifestyle stressors are a huge consideration when it comes to earning intensity in a workout. A few quick reminders before we get started with the podcast. First, this episode is produced by CrossFit Beyond the Whiteboard, the best workout tracking in the biz and the one I've been using since 2009. You can learn more at beyondthewhiteboard.com. If you're enjoying the podcast, please head over to iTunes to subscribe and consider giving it a rating. I'm also always looking for inspiring stories to share. So if you or someone you know has used lifestyle to overcome a serious health challenge, please send your story to me at info at juliefouché.com. Finally, please remember that although I am now officially a doctor, this podcast is meant to share the experiences of individuals and does not provide medical advice. So with that, let's get started with episode number 117 of Pursuing Health featuring Marcus Philly. Welcome to Pursuing Health. I'm really excited to be here with Marcus Philly. So thank you for joining me on the podcast. Yeah, Julie, thank you for having me. I'm super excited to be chatting with you. And uh, I feel like um, I've, I've, this has been a conversation long time coming and we can probably get into why, but your yeah. medical background, my brief medical background and uh, just made me want to have this conversation for, for a couple of years. Yeah, and I'm so glad that we ran into each other just by chance at Whole Foods in Columbus and connected, and now we're making this happen. So long overdue, yep. as you said. Awesome. That's where all the best meeting, all the best chance meetings have happened for me are at Whole Foods oh, in yeah. various cities around competitions. <laughs> right, you always meet, you know, you always meet so many people. I I remember my mom. Um, met so Chuck Carswell was my first judge of my first event at the CrossFit Games in 2010 and my mom met him at Whole Foods and now they have this like running joke where they just always see each other at Whole Foods so <laughs> that's funny my yeah. first my first coach uh in fitness um was James Fitzgerald and I bumped into him at Whole Foods in 2010 at the games mm -hmm. and uh, I had like my starstruck moment and then we became like became close after that kind of similar stories where it all happens cool well as you said we have a lot to talk about um i thought maybe just for people listening to kind of get to know your background we could start with that so just what you were into as far as sports growing up what you were interested in in like early school high school and then we'll go from there yeah okay um well i was into kind of anything sport related when i was younger i mean I, you know, the way sports kind of lined up when, when I was younger, it was like, I could play soccer, I could play some baseball. And then there was like, I could dabble in some other things. That's how the mm -hmm. timing would work out. You know, I couldn't play football and soccer cause they were at the same time. And I got into mm -hmm. soccer early. So I don't know that I was like really drawn to any sport. Like this is my passion aside mm -hmm. from golf, which was like a total passion of oh, mine. But, interesting. um, yeah, all the other sports were just like about physical expression. And, mm -hmm. um, I didn't, I didn't know that, uh, until I was like more in college when I was playing soccer in college and I saw people like in love with the game and people were asking me like, Oh, what teams do you follow? Like international teams, you watch the English premier league. And I was like, no, I don't really mm -hmm. care about any of that stuff. I just want to go out and 
you know, mm-hmm. like train and be fit and like do the physical aspect of the sport. Um, but yeah, that was kind of the thing that really connected all the, all the different sport experiences I had was just this love for, you know, being physical. It's probably why mm-hmm. I fizzled out of baseball early was because it wasn't that physical. Soccer was such a, a, a great connection for me, um, to my physicality. I became a goalkeeper early on and mm-hmm. goalkeeper fitness training and, and sport training was kind of similar to like what I learned about CrossFit early on, which is like kind of short, powerful, more intense, mm-hmm. um, the early days of CrossFit before it became like an endurance event, you know, it mm-hmm. was more of like <laughs> doing Fran and doing Diane, right. do, doing things quickly. That was what I was really loved. Um, and then alongside my, uh, athletic background was sort of this like math and science, uh, kid who just mm-hmm. excelled in excelled in anything that had numbers and had formulas and had a recipe to it. Um, mm-hmm. if there was like a lot of creativity and a lot of thinking outside the box, like in some of my literature classes or English classes, um, I tended, I, I mean, I, I would perform well in the classes, but it was always the hardest for me. Like, okay. you know, AP chem, no problem. You know, English one, like mm-hmm. I was, it was like, you had to put a lot of work into that one. It was torture, torture for me. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I had to put a lot of work in. Uh, so that was, yeah, that's my background. And that kind of carried me all the way through, uh, you know, college and uh, yeah, undergrad and then, and then some graduate school. Okay. And you played, um, soccer in college. Yeah. At- I played, played at UC Berkeley and, um, I was, yeah, I mean, I, it was, that was a weird, that was a weird transition. Cause like, and any, maybe there's college athletes that listen or people know this, like most high school, like if you're a college athlete, you were like a superstar in high school or some, mm-hmm. to some level. And mm-hmm. then you get to college and then everyone's really good. And I was like, I went from being like the starter to like the bench warmer for three years. And yeah. it was a huge shakeup for me. I was like, Oh, well, what does it mean to just, you know, like take away that built in sort of positive reinforcement of mm-hmm. getting to start every game and like mm-hmm. what what really matters to me about this and it yeah. was like the training for it really mattered not the actual game um but yeah played played three seasons uh for for the for the team okay and then alongside that you were studying um it was like a pre-med i think you said molecular biology is what your major was yeah. Is that when was kind of the first time that you thought you might want to apply to med school or go down the path of studying medicine? Um, yeah, my my dad, my grandfather, my oldest brother, they were all physicians. My dad was, you know, my grandfather was retired in those years, but my my dad was very actively practicing at a academic university, um, doing tons of research, a lot of speaking engagements. Is very um, you know, engaged in his, in his work. And my oldest mm-hmm. brother was, was in, you know, his, he was probably in his residency training, um, around the time I was kind of going through high school, uh, junior high, high school. And, um, I think because I was just certain, certain traits that I had as a, as a person, as well as this like knack for math and science and always mm-hmm. getting good grades in those areas it was kind of like fed to me like oh you're going to be such a great doctor just like your dad and right you know and so it was kind of there um that environment and, that you grew up in yeah and, and I really enjoyed like the 
the sciences, you know, I mean, I, yeah. when I, I spent maybe a semester and a half at, in college, like exploring some other stuff. Mm-hmm. And then I was quick to be like, yeah, I just need to do a, like a science degree that like, you know, kind of allows me to one, get all these prerequisites done for medical school. Should I want to do that? Two, these are things I'm good at anyway. Um, and I had like a lot of interest. I, I think the, the, most of my interest was in like physiology and nutrition early on. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was like, well, molecular cell biology, I can take all of these, you know, lower upper division courses that really align with stuff I'm into and I'm pretty good at. So I, I'll, I'll just do that. And MCB at Berkeley was like the, you know, the harder biology mm-hmm. major that, you know, looked better on medical school applications. Sure. So I was doing all the things to align yeah. to potentially go to medical school. Yeah. And so then as you're going through all of that, it sounds like you kind of grew up in this environment where that was expected or that was kind of reinforced to you that you were going to apply to med school after college. But when it came time to start that process, kind of where was your head at? What were you thinking? Um, yeah, my, I think, I think there were some signs, you know, that were kind of early on that were telling me maybe, you know, maybe this isn't my path. This isn't where, mm-hmm. where I should be headed. I mean, uh, just the rigorous process of like studying for and taking the MCAT was something that I had to pour a lot of like, I, I, I had to like protect my life. It was like a summer, you know, before senior year where I yeah. didn't do anything. And, um, uh, so once I got over all the hurdles and like I had the, the application was sort of right. Um, mm-hmm. I, and, and actually back up a second, I was also like in the absence of well, what else do I do? I didn't really mm-hmm. have, I don't, I don't think there were a lot of opportunities along the way where people were asking me like, Hey M- Marcus, what do you want to do? Like, and this is some op- op- options you have. And this is some, right. these are some things. It was, you know, the intent to go to medical school and to apply and even my like personal statement in, in my applications was painting a picture of me going to medical school, getting a degree and then creating a new form of health, healthcare delivery. Like Mm -hmm. we're going to, we're going to open up a center where we're going to have, you know, fitness trainers, nutritionists, like mental health specialists, a physician, maybe I would be that physician Mm -hmm. on board to kind of do holistic kind of uh, health makeovers on people. And that was like what I wrote in my personal yeah. statement. And most so you people had that, that was, vision like really early on before you even were applying to med school. Yeah. I had that vision kind of butting up because I was getting, I was, I was just getting so much from the health and fitness experience in my own life. And then because that was what I was known for, like, yeah, I was like, people knew I did well in school, but they were like, Oh, Marcus is fit. And he, he watches what he eats and he mm-hmm. knows how to train. Like that was what I got a chance to actually help people with early on. Like I didn't okay. do internships where I was in the hospital and working like around, you know, patients and getting to experience that positive reinforcement. It was like people wanted to go to the gym with me. They wanted me yeah. to give them a workout. They wanted to know what I was eating. They wanted to know how to like make practical changes in their day to day life. And, and so that I wanted to pursue that, but there was no model in front of me in, you know, in 2007, there wasn't a model of like, this is how you can go and do that and make a, make a career out of it. You know, 12 years ago, 
the, I don't, there were maybe a, maybe there were a couple CrossFit gyms, but not many, you know, it was, it, it was, was very still narrow. early. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Okay. So you made your whole application kind of with that vision in mind. And then what was it like going through the interview process and kind of application process, deciding where you wanted to go? Yeah, it was hard. It was, it was really hard for me because I think most, and everyone knows that going through the application process, it's like, it's super competitive. And it is, if you just get into a medical school, it's like, you, you just elated, right? Like I got in somewhere (laughs) and I was kind of, I was almost like approaching it. Like I really need to get into this type of school because that's going to, that's going to feed like this other part of me that needs to be nurtured. So I was from, you know, the West coast, Mm -hmm. you know, went to, went to school in California for undergrad. I was like, UCSF's my top choice. That's where my parents worked. I wanted to be close to home. Mm-hmm. Next, next up was like either Davis or San, like somewhere on the West Coast. Like I wanted Probably. to stay in California, and that meant a lot to me. And so yeah. when I when I interviewed at, um, I guess it was t- two or three California schools. UCSF was my first interview. Okay. Uh, I and and I didn't. I got waitlisted at all of them. Like I didn't get in, and it was like, like my heart was just like it sank. Yeah. It was like oh, which I like, feel like. And, even for um, me being from Michigan, like I, I think most most people from Michigan don't even apply to California schools because they're like, oh, there's no way you're even going to get in. It just seems like yeah, such a, a difficult um, process. Totally, and it was, and it was, uh, you know, and I, I remember having some of those interviews and feeling like, oh man, these 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 people don't get, you know, this person that's sitting across from me doesn't get my vision of what I see mm-hmm. in myself. And um, so in the meantime, I interviewed at uh, Baylor, Ohio State, and um, uh, Wake Forest, and I got in, accepted to those schools. And I got several of those acceptances early. And I was like, I should be stoked about this. And meanwhile, right. I'm like holding out for a California school, like that's going to complete the vision and allow mm-hmm. me to do this thing. And, um, eventually it didn't come, you know, and I had to make a decision. I chose Ohio state. And at that point is when I deferred for a year. So okay. I was like, I had take, I had, I kind of waited a year after, um, undergrad to apply. Mm-hmm. And then I got my acceptance. I was like, I need to take another year. Like, this is me just sort of, you know, prolonging, push, delaying prolonging. the inevitable. <laughs> delaying. Yeah, exactly. So what were you doing during that, like during the year in between college and applying? And then in that year where you deferred? Um, I did some traveling, uh, international stuff, like um, going through a lot of Southeast Asia travel. Uh, I, I think, you know, what, what, what needed to have the, the headline of those two years was I needed to like figure out a little bit of who I was with, with the, the label of, student athlete just sort of stripped away. And yeah. cause I, I didn't even know, I was like, what am I, you know, I had, I think my senior year after the MCATs were over, um, mm-hmm. I was, it was pretty depressed. I was pretty depressed as a person. Mm-hmm. I was just like, I've been just working, working on this like hard, you know, schedule for years. And for what, mm-hmm. like, where am I headed? I wasn't so psyched and set and stoked on the prospect of becoming like, becoming a doctor in the traditional sense of what I had mm-hmm. kind of grown up around. Like I wasn't 
dying to be a radiologist like my dad. You know, mm-hmm. I was I wasn't drawn to any particular specialty or field out there. Um, I love the idea of healthcare and 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 healing and but I didn't have a model. So mm-hmm. after school was over, I was like, okay, I'm I need time to kind of discover who I am if I'm gonna re engage in this process, which is gonna be tough, and come out the other end like with my core values intact. Mm-hmm. And um so yeah, it was travel around the world. It was take a lot of uh you know, I don't know, uh, another way to put it, but just like do a lot of uh, like spiritual work and like yeah. um, 10 meditation and spiritual retreats and uh, do inward stuff. Um, and and then, you know, I coached a little soccer and tutored mm-hmm. a bunch of students like in that time to make some money so I could pay for my travels because I was yeah. like, I want to go to Asia for three and a half months. And my parents were like, Go ahead, pay for yourself. You know, like that's what we're paying at this point. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Well, that's pretty wow. amazing, though, too, that you were at least in tune enough to take that time. Because I think, at least from what I've seen, so many people go straight through, you know, high school, undergrad, medical school, residency, and it's not until later in that process that they have that moment where they're saying wait what am I actually doing and it's a tough it's such a tough field because unlike you know most other people when you graduate from college and then have to ask yourself like what kind of job do I want to get what do I want to do you don't really really start having to ask yourself those questions until later on because everything is sort of laid out for you like you do the MCAT then you apply then you do med school then you pick a a residency then you pick a fellowship and then next thing you know you're like almost 40 and you're just starting to live your life. And I think it's hard for a lot of people to have that introspection as they go through the process to really figure out why they're doing what they're doing, especially in a system today that is so designed against like physician happiness, basically. There's so many factors that you're working against. So I think it was, and I've noticed at least of my colleagues, those that took some time off before and really know why they're doing it. Um, have been much more successful and like enjoyed the process much more. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think the analogy of like a high speed train <laughs> that's just moving and you're on this thing and to like, to stop the thing, you gotta like, it takes a lot of work and many, many, many miles and cities to actually slow down to get off. And I don't know why I had enough awareness or I'm not even sure that it was like, you know, people people have said that to me, and even like my decision to leave medical school once I started, mm-hmm. it was like, oh, I'm, I can't believe you had the awareness to do that. And I'm like, it wasn't like I just was like, you know, I think I'm going to need to do this, and so I'm going <laughs> to I'm going to take the scheduled break. It was like at a breaking point in my life right. where I was like, if I don't do this, I I might not survive, you know, in any way that I could foresee being good. Yeah. Um, so it, it, it came, it came at like an expense for sure and a cost and, and a lot of pain points, but yeah, I mean, and I also credit a lot of, um, you know, having two supportive parents, but a mom that was very connected to me emotionally mm-hmm. and was like, Hey, like you don't have to do something if it's not right for you, like mm-hmm. no matter what, you know, and, and not it, had, I had a, a mom that was more like, Hey, you never, you don't quit something like, right. I mean, I may be, we, you know, maybe may a different story right now. Like, I don't yeah, know. <laughs> totally. Right. It's so funny. Cause my mom played the similar role. Like 
I remember after my first, it was right around after my first year of med school. And that was the year that I like wanted to train and compete at the games and do first year of med school. Cause I was like, I'm going to prove it that I can do both. It's going to be great. And I definitely got to a breaking point and it was bad. And I remember it was one specific discussion I had with my mom on the phone where she said, you don't have to do any of this. Like you could drop out of med school today. You could stop competing CrossFit today. We're going to love you just the same. Like we just want you to be happy. And after she said that, it made me realize, like take a step back and be like, yeah, I don't, I don't have to do any of this. And it made me really think about why I wanted to do it and connect with that bigger purpose. And then things started to get a lot easier and um, more comfortable. And I made some decisions about how I was going to balance those two things moving forward. But moms can come in really handy. <laughs> totally. <laughs> totally. Um, well, and it was, it was, um, I was obviously, I was very involved in the sport around that time as well. And, uh, you know, just watching your story and being like, she doing this and <laughs> school. I'm like, I was, I, I, yeah, it, it was, I mean, having had that experience of, you know, year one of medical school, it's, it's, uh, it's pretty brutal. It's like a, it's a rough, it's a rough transition no matter what. It is. Um, so then sort of before you, you take this time off, you travel, you defer for a year, you do a lot of kind of soul searching what were you thinking then when you went back to start med school? Were you thinking, okay, yes, I'm ready and this is what I want to do? Or were you still having a lot of question marks in your mind? Um, I was like, I'm a totally different person than I was when I graduated college. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's been two years since I was in a class and I was, you know, taking notes and, you know, studying for exams. Mm -hmm. um, and that time off was, it, it is so important to me. Uh, and so I was like, okay, I'm a totally different person. No, this isn't going to be easy. And no, I'm not like thrilled to get back into the basic sciences and have to like redo everything. And, you know, like I was excited for anatomy, which is our first block. But outside of that, I was like, you know, biochemistry again and all this, mm -hmm. um, pharmacology. I was like, I'm not <laughs> like, I'll just do it. I, I'm, and I know how to yeah. do it and I'm good at doing it. I did it for a number of years. Um, I guess the big question mark for me was like, am I going to be able to hold on to this feeling that I have about myself and the way I can sort of balance life a little bit? I mean, mm -hmm. I was a relatively unbalanced student in college, right? Mm -hmm. Like I, I studied to an excess, you know, mm -hmm. like I studied what most people bring to the first year medical school that's required of them in terms of like mental focus and study. Mm -hmm. Like I was doing that, you know, in, in undergrad. Um, yeah. and I can only say that cause I saw it, you know, it was like, you know, classmates of mine, like, Oh man, so much study. And I was like, really, this is what like I did every day in college, yeah. you know, which was more way more than was required. Um, yeah. so it was, it was like, how, how am I going to be able to balance this? Am I going to be able to balance it? And, um, uh, I, I, you know, I, there was, there was, ex, there was excitement for sure about like mm -hmm. starting fresh in a new place and, you know, being able, like asking myself like, okay, I'm going to, I'm leaving that old guy behind that was depressed in college because he had worked himself to the ground. I'm going to be this new person. And, um, yeah, so there was excitement. There was some questioning that was going on and, uh, um, 
and then, yeah, I mean, anatomy and, and that first block of, of school and meeting new classmates that were great, like was, was super fun and exciting. I was like, you know, anatomy to me was like it. I was like, this is great. Like <laughs> I'll do this all day. Um, but, uh, yeah. And then it, that started to just, uh, slowly change and, and transform over the months that followed, especially when winter hit in, in Ohio. Yeah. <laughs> I feel you. <laughs> California kid wasn't ready for that so much. That's tough. Oh, man. I remember some of my classmates our first year that lived in other climates, and it was the first time they had ever seen snow before, and then, like, going outside to experience snow, and it was just very – it was very fun. But <laughs> but the winters get old very fast. Yeah. Um, so then – you know, you eventually came to this decision that, you know, medical school is not the right path for you. Can you take us through sort of how you ultimately got to that decision and what that decision was like? I mean, you mentioned some of the support you had from your mom, but what that was like, what that was like to share with your family and your friends. Yeah. Um, it was funny. I had a, I had a good friend of mine who from college, like actually like I met him studying for the MCAT. We were like study buddies in uh-huh. MCAT days and we ended up at different schools, but, um, we started at the same time. We both kind of deferred at different for different lengths. And, okay. uh, so along the way I was like, I, Oh, and he and I went on this spiritual retreat together for about a month uh, in that time off. Wow. We were like really deeply bonded and yeah. we, you know, like, like, I don't know. I mean, not a lot of male friendships like end every conversation with like, I love you, but like, mm-hmm. that's the kind of level we were on. And so, mm-hmm. uh, and funny story about Ben was that he wasn't at Tulane when, uh, like the year oh. after Katrina or like a few years after Katrina and they had like a hurricane watch. And so like the, the, the city was like, you got to get out of here. And so they shut down school for wow. like, two weeks during our, we were both doing anatomy. So he came to Ohio State, lit, stayed with me and went to our anatomy lab and was in <laughs> class with me for a couple of weeks. Just anyhow, but that's cool. bringing it back to your question, it was like I, I had, um, I had him along the way to kind of always be bouncing like kind of thoughts and ideas. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was really just that first year where it kind of went from like, this is the excitement and then it quickly started to fade. And then it was like, man, this is really hard, like, and not just like the school part of it, but like feeling inspired and feeling connected to my purpose and, and the vision, the long-term vision. And, and even if it's going to be hard and there's going to be parts that suck and nobody really wants to go through, you know, these aspects of medical school, like there were so few things that were keeping me positive and motivated. Um, and so it was kind of this like slow decline where, you know, I'm, I'm outperforming everybody. I'm getting the best grades in the whole class. I'm mm-hmm. pushing myself like, like all, that's all I know how to do. Mm-hmm. And, and then I'm just like depressed and I'm like, I don't, I, I don't like what I'm doing. And I'm communicating this to my parents and to Ben and we're having these conversations and, and it's kind of like, you know, year one is tough for everybody. It's not, it's not easy. I'm like, okay, am I just like everybody else? Like, is this what everyone is feeling right now? Mm -hmm. Okay. I'm not going to quit in my first year. Definitely not. Like I have to make it through, you know, and 
getting through the last two months of winter was like the worst, you know, lots of like phone calls in the mm-hmm. hallway, in the stairwell at, you know, the library, like crying to my mom and my dad, um, getting like talked off the ledge and, yeah, yeah. and then, you know, spring kind of came and the year was almost over and Ben and I had some summer plans. We were going to go to Spain together. And so oh, I was like, okay, nice. we're going to, I'm going to make it, you know? And then I was going to get out of this like terrible apartment I was in and found a new great place to live for year two. And so like, okay, we're going to, this is all getting better. And, mm-hmm. um, and that, and that summer away, uh, so summer before we came back for a second year, um, I tried to like recharge myself and get ready and prepared and, um, but it was still like, I still had doubts. And then I came back and we started our first like neural block or something like that. And I literally just couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't pick up a book. Like I couldn't, mm-hmm. st- I, there's no, there's no way I, I couldn't even force it. And, mm-hmm. uh, um, so yeah, it really, it really happened slowly and gradually, but it was this like, you know, doing my best to acknowledge that these are challenges that a lot of people go through. And how do I separate like what most people are feeling from what I'm feeling and what's different and what's like not mm-hmm. right about this? Um, and who are my core people that I get to speak to about that? Cause I didn't have classmates that I felt confident to, to share that with. I mean, mm-hmm. I had friends that when I told them the news, like, you know, that I'm leaving, they were like, what? That's a terrible idea. You know, I'm like, yeah. I'm like, well, this yeah. isn't an idea. Like I'm actually like, I already spoke to the Dean, like I'm out of here. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. Like you say, to to try to separate, you know, what's a normal, like challenge going through a challenging experience and like, how far do we push ourselves for growth and to like reach a goal versus what is our body and our mind telling us it's like this is not right for us you know yeah and I think eventually like you said eventually like you do reach a point where you can't ignore it anymore and it it becomes like you you figure out you figure it out because your body and your mind will kind of tell you and I I had a sort of a similar experience um after it was like during it was during my second year where I or no it was actually it was during my first year this was like pre my mom having that talk with me that um (laughs) which I've talked about before but I was pretty depressed as well and I think a lot of it was because of moving my coach was living in a different place I was trying to compete and do all this stuff and I had no life because I was just either studying or working out and um and I hadn't really, I hadn't really done as well. Like the games the year before hadn't really gone the way that I had planned. And I had a lot of um, like grief in the, like deaths in the family that I grief that I hadn't really dealt with. I was just kind of pushing away because I was doing all these other things. And it finally got to a point where like, I couldn't ignore it anymore, where I would just be crying for no reason, like walking to my car after school and like could not stop from crying. And it it gets to the point where you're like, okay, I got to do something. I can't live like this. There's clearly something bigger going on. And so, you know, I always wish that there's a way, I think we get better with experience about being able to decipher that earlier on before it gets, before it gets that bad. But, um, but I think eventually 
you know, our kind of path and our, our purpose becomes clear. But, but for me, it was mainly like, which, which is, I think a lot of what you have expressed, it was mainly connecting with my purpose, like really trying to figure out why are we here? What are we, you know, what is the purpose that we're here on this earth? And then once you connect with that, everything gets easier in the path, like whatever path that takes, um, even if there's challenges, it's worth it because you know, you're working towards that like bigger purpose and goal. Yeah. Well, and it's, um, yeah, cause now I'm a fitness coach, you know, and I have been for 10 years and that's, uh, what, you know, what, that's the conversation that we lead, we lead in with, with many clients and, you know, what is, what's the purpose? Like, or what's, what are you, what's your life priority? You know, what, mm-hmm. what, what is the number one thing for you always? And, yeah. uh, and then just helping people uncover that. And it's, it's, it's often not until they're like stressed to the limits that they can really hone in on that. And yeah. that's been a recurring lesson for me from college through medical school to competing in the sport of fitness to, uh, you know, starting a family and, and getting married and all the, all the big events. It's like, get stressing that stuff to the limits is what mm-hmm. has helped me gain clarity. And it's funny. Cause like I, as a coach, I've had to learn this over time too. It's like, I want to help people get there before they have to experience pain of some yeah. sort. I want you to like, I want, like I might see it coming. I'm like, Oh, <laughs> this is going to end badly for them. Like, let me try and steer them. And yeah. then it, it almost, it's almost like, really maybe the job of the coach is to just be there when it happens, you know, like mom there right when it happened to be like, okay, I've seen it coming and here you are at the breaking point. And now is when you need to hear the, like the right advice or the, the the timely advice. And, um, and that's kind of, you know, we're not trying to like drive our clients into the, the stress that makes them recognize what they're up against and and Mm -hmm. realize their purpose you know, we want to kind of steer them away from that, but it's in some cases it's inevitable. And, you know, I have a client right now who I'm thinking of who, uh, probably would, won't be listening to this podcast, but if he does, like <laughs> he probably would agree. It's like he's, he's put, there's a, there's a, there's a lot of stuff in his life that kind of driving him into a, a, a deep stress point. And, mm-hmm. and in our last conversation, I said, Hey, like we need to keep talking about this because I want, when the day comes and it may come where this turns into something that you can't just tolerate anymore. It, mm-hmm. it starts to negatively like we, let's, we'll be ready to have like, you know, the conversation of how we're going to address it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, a, it's wild. It's so it's so funny too the parallel, just like you said, the parallels between um, being that coach and then in, you know, where I am now in family medicine, it's, whether it's behavior change, whether it's trying to figure out what people, what drives people, which is so important for making that behavior change. Um, it can be frustrating when people aren't ready yet or they're not to that point. And part of the job, like you said, is is just being there and so that they know that you're there for them when they get to that point, when they are ready to change. Um, yeah. But the purpose, I think the purpose conversation is huge and it's something that I've been lucky that I have a lot of um, faculty that really emphasize that to us in our training and actually the the podcast which will be released right before yours with Dr. Wayne Jonas he's really big on that and he has this whole inventory about asking all the every patient 
what do you want your health for? What's most important to you? And really connecting with that because whether it's someone who's dealing with chronic pain or diabetes or metabolic disease, if if the, you can't connect the changes they need to make to their purpose or what drives them, then there's you know very little likelihood that they're actually going to put in the work to do it. And I think it's true for all of us. Um, mm-hmm. I love that that just the the language there, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna steal that. It's like, yeah. what do you want your fitness for? Like that's exactly like I'm here. I want to get fit. It's like, but what do you want that for? Like, what's the what are you gonna use it? And where where? Yeah, that's great. And it's so important nowadays too, where you know the emphasis really is trying to we're trying to get the average person to really figure out that question. It's not just so I can compete, um, right? You know, in the CrossFit Games or at regionals or whatever, but there should be hopefully some other underlying purpose um, underneath that. So, yeah, I love that. And I think it's so, it's an important question for all of us to answer for ourselves. And it will change with different stages of our life cycle, too. Yeah, that's absolutely. So let's talk a little bit about your CrossFit journey, because we haven't even really mentioned it so far. But sure. when along this timeline, when did you first get into CrossFit? It was before uh, medical school, so I, I kind of dabbled a little bit in that mm-hmm. two-year gap gap uh, window. It was and me dabbling was like, you know, San Francisco CrossFit was a an affiliate at the time. I got exposed to them by by a friend, like, hey, come and work mm-hmm. out here with me. Um, took some classes. I wasn't like a full blown member because it was a little bit of a drive from where I live, but mm-hmm. I would go and take classes from Kelly Starrett and Adrian Bosman and, um, you know, just learn some stuff from them. Mm-hmm. Um, and was, got like caught the bug. And so I just sort of lived on CrossFit.com for a while, like mm-hmm. not just doing main site workouts, but more like exploring every journal video that was there, you know, every exercise yeah. demonstration, everything, consuming it all. And uh, so that was kind of my introduction. But then then I traveled for three or four months in, it was like four months in Southeast Asia. Uh, so I kept my fitness up doing like my variations of stuff I'd done in the past, along with mm-hmm. a little like some CrossFit wads that I could do with like my body weight burpees and did so many burpees in, in <laughs> Vietnam. It's ridiculous. <laughs> but um and then went to school and I immediately was like, okay, where's the CrossFit gym? Oh, CrossFit Gehanna. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's like rogue. That was rogue fitness back then. Mm-hmm. And it was, uh, it was quite, a, it, was, it was a bit of a drive, you know, like now Columbus yeah. has like all these boxes. So many, right yeah. were zero when I was there. <laughs> so it, I literally had to drive like 30, 35 minutes, which oh, wow. I didn't see as I didn't see it as a possibility. No. You know, that was 35 minutes each way. And I'm like, I got to study. And so I'm like, okay, I'm just going to, you know, I'm going to work out at the, the, the school gym, which was great. Mm-hmm. But I was doing like, you know, main site workouts or workouts I'd seen. I was just kind of pulling stuff. And, you know, mm-hmm. I remember the, the gym had um, an indoor track upstairs. And then they had rowers on the, on the second level. Mm-hmm. And then the squat racks and all the weights were on the bottom level. So I might do a workout where I was like literally <laughs> going up flights of stairs, like rowing and then going back down to the squat rack and doing thrusters and, yeah. you know, um, but sort of just figuring out um, how to stay connected to that and just keeping a close eye on CrossFit in all like not just workouts and the competition stuff, but like mm-hmm. the affiliates and the growth of that. And it was like the thing that 
if, if, if I could look at my browser history back then, it was like Wikipedia for basically my medical education. <laughs> that's like how we all taught ourselves. It was like, we were like living off of that. And, um, yeah. And CrossFit, CrossFit websites and affiliate pages. And, um, mm-hmm. if I needed a break from studying, I was just like, what's going on with CrossFit these days? What's happening yeah. in the competitive world? Like, you know, um, and, and how can I, you know, wow. Like, Oh, Oh, there's a new affiliate that just opened up in my home County. And like, could I go there over the breaks? Mm-hmm. And so I kind of started that way. And then when you decided that you were going to stop medical school, what were, did you have, like at that point, did you have any idea of what you wanted to do or, or did you just take some time and, and kind of try to figure that out? Um, I, I had, I didn't know what I was going to do and I kind of knew what I wanted to do. Like you still had the vision. I still had a vision. Yeah. I mean, but it had gotten so bad that I was like, I might go to culinary school and just totally fuck like flip directions. Like yeah. I, I, I need to do something that is so disconnected from this. Like that mm-hmm. was, uh, that was, I, I was um, but then I was like, okay, I'll move home and maybe I'll, and, and technically I, def- I, I, I took a leave of absence, like a one year leave of that. I had an opportunity okay. to go back if I needed to. They, they gave me that option. Um, I didn't really, I, I was like, I got a year to figure out what I'm doing so that I don't have mm-hmm. to exercise this option because it, mm-hmm. it doesn't look good to me, okay. but it was there. Uh, so yeah, going home, it was like, just need to chill for a minute, get into some like therapy so that I could like work on myself and figure mm-hmm. out what's happening. Um, you know, job postings, like my, like research, uh, you know, lab, uh, jobs that, you know, I could take my undergraduate degree and kind of plug myself into a different system. Mm-hmm. Uh, I looked at them, but I, I didn't know I was so uninspired to do it that I didn't yeah. actually ever look, look deeper. Um, although I was looking at like, are there any exercise science labs or like departments mm-hmm. that I could get into that might be like that kind mm-hmm. of was a flicker of, of like, okay, maybe I could kind of take mm-hmm. this molecular cell biology thing into a direction that I'm into. Mm-hmm. But really it was like, I remember like my first couple weeks home me on my bike, driving through my hometown, riding through my hometown and looking at like, like, oh, I could put a box there. Oh, I could open up a box there. Like, it was like cross it was the there. gym. Yeah. yeah, totally there. And, and I also was like, the number one thing I need to do when I'm home is I need to go and join an affiliate and I need to just become, I need to use the, the affiliate and the box and the, the culture to heal me. I need to get, that's mm-hmm. what I'm going to do. And so I did that. And, you know, it was like maybe a month in, they're like, Hey, you want to coach? And I was like, no, like, I just, I just need this for myself. And, mm-hmm. um, but then I, I couldn't hold out very long. Cause I was mm-hmm. like, I was like, yeah, actually I really want to coach. I actually <laughs> really want to, you know, I really want to do this thing. And, uh, so that was kind of like, I was going to go all, all in on, on getting as much into the, the fitness culture as I could, mm-hmm. uh, in that year. And, uh, whatever it took to, to make that happen. I mean, I took a part-time job as like a, a barista and I was making lattes every day, like opening nice. at 5 a.m. And then make it, you know, it was a four hour shift until nine mm-hmm. and I would go coach the nine thirty class. And then I would, you know, coach in the afternoon, I'd work out in the day. And it was like, I was just doing that because I wanted to see how far I could take that in a short mm-hmm. amount of time to give myself like at least some confidence to like, okay, this is, this is what I need to do. Mm-hmm. Um, 
yeah. And then when did competing in CrossFit start to become something that you were interested in? Um, I mean, I think I was interested in it just from like the perspective of like, you know, I, I was following all the journal videos from early on. Like I, I knew who Chris Spieler was. I knew OPT. I knew, you know, the, the names that were there. I just mm-hmm. like Jason Kalipa's name popping up and, you know, Josh Everett and, and kind of idolizing that group and being mm-hmm. like, man, they're really fit and I want to do this. And, you know, um, but not like, oh, I can't wait to compete against them. Like, I want to get out there and show my stuff. It was sort of like their way up here. And I'm like, I'm like, I knew I was good at some of the things that I was doing because I was, mm-hmm. you know, the best in my affiliate. And, um, but then they, they had like an affiliate team at my gym that was, that had been to the games prior to me even showing up in mm-hmm. 2009. And so they're like, oh, do you want to be on our team? And I was like, oh, okay, like, sure, you know, and, mm-hmm. and then, in that first year we made the games like 2010, the first year it was in at the home Depot center. Mm-hmm. And I think I just kind of like, you know, I, you get pulled into the, to yeah. the storm. It's like you do one. And then like a couple months later, you're like training Let's and the next yeah. Open. Yeah, it's just going. And so I kind of got into it and, um, I, I was like, I, I, I definitely still had that athlete in me that wanted to, you know, push himself within fitness. And I saw CrossFit from the beginning as like this great challenge to myself, Mm -hmm. like, oh my gosh, like, how do I get better at these things? So, you know, having the competition there as like something to keep motivating that was, Mm -hmm. was something that I enjoyed, but I I don't, it it all kind of happened by accident. I mean, I was definitely there in the affiliate with this purpose of like, how do I become a professional in this industry Mm-hmm. and the competing was sort of just like happening at mm-hmm. the same time. Yeah. Well, it's lucky in that sense that, you know, how many people want to become a professional industry or want to become a coach and are working out as hard as they can, but they don't happen to make the game <laughs> or regionals <laughs> or anything yeah. else. So. Right. Right. I feel like it was, the timing was, was really amazing. I mean, I was those first couple of years, I was surrounded by these other good athletes. We had this mm-hmm. like pretty cool collection of people that were able to make back to back to back games as an affiliate. And we improved our placements and, you know, finished in the, that was back when they had like the final workout that only six teams got to go to. And we made it to the final workout. Oh, and, cool. uh, but so that process that early, those early years, mm-hmm. you know, I don't want to say that it was easy to make the games, but like it was definitely easier. And, um, but it fueled that, okay, now I really want to go and like become an individual athlete in the sport and see what I'm, what I'm made of. Can I, can I hang with these guys? Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and that was, that was a, that was a big switch in mentality for sure. Yeah. And what were those years like then as you were training and competing as an individual at the game? Um, they were, they were interesting. I mean, I opened up my own affiliate in, uh, well, I partnered with, so I became a member at this box called TJ's gym. Mm -hmm. Um, they had us, they had two other locations in the area looking to open up a third location or I guess it was the fourth location. And I was like, it was my hometown is where I grew Mm -hmm. up. I was like, I, I want to, that's where I want to be, you know, 
a business owner and a gym owner someday. And so we partnered and that became kind of my place to run. And that was like essentially in the last year of um, team competition. So okay. spent a lot of time getting that business like up and running and it was it was doing really well. Um, had some good people in place to help support the time and like the coaching of, you know, uh, classes. And Mm -hmm. so as I moved into like getting more and more pulled into this individual, you know, competition journey, like I was like, my responsibilities at the gym were kind of like, I didn't need to do as much. I had more people working there, like covering Mm -hmm. classes and I could just be a, I could be the presence at the gym and then train in the off hours and, Mm -hmm. uh, but there was a lot going on. It was like coaching a lot, doing a lot of personal training hours, right. competing, you know, training a lot of hours in the day for myself. Um, but I was like 20, you know, seven years old and I felt like I was at my best and I was yeah. just going to it. <laughs> so, um, and, and, and the first two years of competing were super hard on my body just because I was playing a lot of catch up in the mm-hmm. world of uh, aerobic fitness. I mean, I was a goalkeeper in college. And so to like learn how to basically do CrossFit aerobically meant I had to put in a lot of hours and do a lot of different stuff that just didn't feel like, I mean, I, I had good mechanics for it, but you know, I was always dealing with back pain and you name it. Like it was just, mm-hmm. it was brutal. Um, and I feel like I snuck in the first year, like 2013 was, uh, the year that they were still like grandfathering in old champions. Mm, uh, so, mm-hmm. so Jason was in my region and mm-hmm. he had won previously. So his qualifying spot didn't count. So they took the fourth qualifying spot at mm-hmm. the reach. And I was the fourth, you know, it was like, uh, you know, Jason, Neil Maddox, Garrett Fisher, and then me and Pat Barber were like battling it mm-hmm. out for this other spot. And the gap between us and them was huge. So it was like, uh-huh. we really didn't. So I like, I beat him out and got this, you know, invitation to go. And it was, uh, it was exciting, but it, it, that sparked me being like, okay, the next time I do this, there's going to be no doubt. Like I'm either, I either made it or I didn't like, I'm not yeah. going to be this fringe person. Um, which meant I leveled up my training and took it more seriously. And mm-hmm. it's like, again, it's just pulling you further in. It's like, oh, oh yeah. No- so then 2014, you competed again as an yeah, individual. I, yeah. Which, I, I, yeah. I we were both at this game that year. I don't know how our paths didn't really ever cross prior, but anyways, well, I think that was the only year that we were both there <laughs> individually. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, I think they, they do a good job of separating the men and the women. It's like, there's a lot going schedule. on. Yeah. Totally. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. 2014 competed at the games, um, and, uh, had a better showing, but still not like, you know, something that I was like super proud of. Um, and then 15, I took the year off because my, uh, my mom got diagnosed with lymphoma in October of mm-hmm. that year. And it was super, super, um, aggressive, advanced. And wow. it was just really like a scary few months. And I just like the emotional investment of like, trying to prep for the open and all that. Like, I I just can't do it. So, um, and you know, so I took that year off and she went through treatment and she, uh, had, yeah, she had amazing care and she, uh, got into remission and which was remarkable and, um, like opened up just the possibility of me like, okay, I'm going to get back into the sport and, uh, 
in 2016, I decided to compete again. And like at regionals that year was mm-hmm. this like on Saturday of regionals, we celebrated my mom's two year um, or excuse me, one year, you know, cancer free mm-hmm. mission. Um, my grandfather passed away, her, mm-hmm. her dad. And I, it was the, it was the day that you had to do the, um, wall ball pull up workout right into pistols and power cleans. And then the, the other event was like deadlifts and running and GHD sit-ups, which was mm-hmm. going to be by far like the hardest day for me. And I just okay. was getting like stumped. So it was like yeah. physical pain you know, emotional, emotional excitement, oh my, my mom, and then emotional pain from my grandfather. And it was just like this crazy day. And, um, that whole weekend was just, was wild for me, but, uh, it, it was, you know, I qualified in, um, in one of the bigger regions that I, it was the first time competing in one of like the combined regions, California. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, that ended up being just my, you know, this, this great conclusion to my individual uh, uh, competing career. It was uh, it was a special year. Definitely, and you had a good showing at the games, and then um, and then you said that was the sort of the conclusion of your individual career at the games. So, can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I uh, 2016, you know, had uh, had sold my, my business. Uh, or or basically exited my partnership. I needed to, I didn't align anymore with the like core values with my partners. And I wanted something that they didn't want and they wanted something that I didn't want. And mm-hmm. so I needed to create, you know, a, a different path for myself. So here I was having to say goodbye to mm-hmm. this, this community that I had, I'd really helped build in my hometown and having like a clause within the, you know, agreement where it was like, you can't open up another business nearby and mm-hmm. you have to, there's non-competes. And so, so that happened, had this big, you know, games. And I was also playing, um, grid at the time, mm-hmm. which was, like, so that was like an additional two months after the CrossFit game season of like hard competing and pain and torture. <laughs> and, right. and so wrapping up that year was like the emotional, you know, loss of the gym, the physical com- competition season, having to navigate a new business. I had to start my business from scratch again. Um, just had been in, had gotten engaged, excuse me. Yeah. had gotten married earlier that year and now my wife and I were pregnant. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had a baby coming early the next year mm-hmm. and, uh, 2017 was when she was born. And so, and I was just, I was just like a wreck, you know, my body was just beat up. And so I, I, I made this commitment to myself. Like I got a one, like I got to get this business like secured. Mm -hmm. Um, Two, I got to get my body healthy again. Cause I don't even feel like doing anything. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, I still want to be in in fitness, but I mean, I couldn't lift my arms over my head. You know, my knee was feeling like totally jacked from grid and CrossFit, the whole combination of the year. Um, and so like, I didn't make any like decisions, but I'm like, I don't think I'm, I don't think I have it. I mean, I knew, I was like, I don't think I have another year of doing this. Mm-hmm. As much as it was amazing and fun, like, and I enjoyed it, I'm not sure I can make it happen again. And, you know, I, I went through the rest of that winter, got healthy, got my energy back, was training competitively. I was like, okay, I'm, I'm going to do the open. 
mm-hmm. or I, I'm going to prep for the open, but then the baby's going to be born right around that time. So, you know, I'm not going to make know. any commitments. And then, uh, yeah. And then Noah was born on a Saturday and the open announcement was the following Wednesday. Mm-hmm. And I did, I, I don't think I slept for like seven days, you know, after she was born, like just <laughs> up all night with her and figuring out like, you know, breastfeeding and supporting my wife through that and doing all kinds of, I mean, I literally was up, you know, every, every hour for, yeah. you know, seven days straight. And um, yeah, I did that first 17.1 and got a decent score, but literally just like died trying to get <laughs> a qualifying score. Yeah. <laughs> I finished the workout, laid on the ground for 10 minutes, like not feeling right and got up and my, my, one of my coworkers, one of my coaches at my gym just reminded me, he's like, I remember when you stood up from that, you looked at me and you just said, not good enough. And, uh, and, and I think I knew in that moment, I was like, it's over. Like, I'm not doing this. Like, this yeah. is not going to happen. Um, and it wasn't just that I couldn't perform well enough because I could have qualified. And actually that year I probably might've been able to sneak the regionals because it was kind of a weird year in California, but just like I, I, I wasn't able to bring what I remember bringing to it at all, mm-hmm. and that just was like, there's other things that need to take precedence right now, and my, uh, my, my, my daughter and certainly our our new child, and that was like, in, in hindsight, I'm like, oh, I, I don't even, why did I even think there was a possibility of me doing this? <laughs> Like, that's not me as a as a person. I I can't juggle those two things for sure. Um, but it was a special you know opportunity to you know really engage in those first uh, six to twelve months of her life and not be pulled away by the stress of the open and regionals and and then mm-hmm. whatever came after that if there was anything after that. Yeah, and I think what you said is important that you maybe you could have done it physically, but. But, you know, at what cost, you know, the emotional cost of being pulled away or having to, you know, be selfish in those ways for your training when you have a new daughter or trying to spend time with your family. Um, I think in a lot of ways that people don't see that aspect of competing at a high level and, you know, how much goes into it from a mental perspective of just every single decision you make is kind of around making sure that you're prepared to compete whether it's sleep, whether it's meal prep, whether it's not going out with your friends late at night or whatever it is, um, the toll that that can take year after year of doing that. And I think for me, it's something that I didn't realize really how much stress I had on a baseline level until it wasn't there anymore. And then you realize, wow, I can start to do all these things for other people and not have to worry about my own training. It really, it's a different mindset. Absolutely. Yeah. I I think, that's what's probably made it hard for me to know if there's going to be a time for me to get back into competing ever. You know, it's mm-hmm. like I keep flirting with the idea. I keep, you know, it calls to me for sure. Like, mm-hmm. especially since I'll be 35 this year and yeah. there's a whole kind of opportunity in front of me. But it's also like, even then, it's like, what's it going to, what's it going to add and what might it take away? And, um, uh, having had the chance to just experience what it's like to not be thinking every, you know, every moment Mm -hmm. about that and what it's done to enrich my, my relationship to my wife and allow us to schedule our year in a way that's like a little bit more free, like Mm -hmm. taking vacations, you know, like we're planning a trip to 
I'm like, I'm already thinking, I'm like, okay, if I do the open in October, then I'm not going to travel anytime between like middle of August and, and the open. Mm-hmm. But I'm like, but there might be a chance for my wife and I to go to this cool place. Like, yeah. I don't miss that, you know? And um, yeah, it, it is something that I think by and large, most people that are competing at a high level of any sport, but in, in particular, like fitness, CrossFit, it's it's a lot of, you know, emotional and mental energy that gets put onto you and to yourself and to the sport. And um, I'm always in awe of people that seem to not have that issue. <laughs> they can Me just, too. you know, balance that stuff. And I'm like, when am I going to, can I be like that person who just like <laughs> has three kids and like is, is like competing like five times a year and is not like juggling it all so well. But um, I think there are usually the exceptions to the rule and that, mm-hmm. you know, we kind of, I've, my experience is that I've been what in the same boat as most people and that it's just hard. And mm-hmm. Well, and it's, it's kind of, you know, you have everyone who's competed at a high level has that personality and that if you're going to do something, you want to put a hundred percent into it, right? You don't want to show up to a competition feeling like you haven't done everything you could to prepare. And, and so the thought of like, maybe you could take vacation and spend time with your family and still be, able to qualify or compete. Um, but it's that uncertainty of, of, you know, can I do that and then show up feeling like I didn't do everything I could to compare and, or to prepare. And is that still going to be enjoyable for me? I think it's, you know, it's, it's, can you be okay with that? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think my early experiences in the sport, uh, like the early years of competing taught me, what it feels like to show up unprepared. And I'm like, <laughs> I don't ever want to go back to that. Like, <laughs> like 2010 sectionals coming in and just getting like just annihilated by like, you know, cause I just wasn't ready. And I was like in over my head kind of thing. Yeah. I was like, yeah, we're going to fix that. We're going to fix that by prepping the way I used to prep for tests in medical school. Right. It's like, I'm going to know everything. There's no questions, no, you know, and, um, and the moment, that, and then that when that, the opportunity to, or to uh, prepare in that way was gone. Um, it made me question, like, I don't, I don't think I should do this, you know, because that was really unlike medical school, like the preparation for exams was not the part that I loved by any means, but in Mm -hmm. fitness preparation for competition and preparation for the season was what I loved. Mm -hmm. I love that so much more than competing. I mean, uh, I, I, I also admire people in the sport that are like, I just live for competition. I can't Mm -hmm. wait to get out there. Like I hear like, like when Annie talks, she's like, yeah, I just yeah. want to be on the, com-. I'm like, I don't, I'm like, I was the opposite. I was like, let me get out of the competition floor. Like, I don't ever want to be, be over. <laughs> like, is it all, oh, we have to go to regionals now? No. Like, you know, I, that was, I was the opposite. I was like, let's just train more because it's so much less stressful. <laughs> uh, yes. And so I admire people, like you said, like Annie and Catherine and Sam Briggs that people have been doing it for so long and just still seem to bring that same energy and love for training and competing. It's, it's pretty remarkable. Yeah. yeah it's so special. Um, okay. So now you're, you said you started, you know, your business as well. Can you talk a little bit about that kind of where this is um, revival strength, correct? Yeah. Yeah. And kind of where yeah. the concept for that came from and what your goals were when you started that business. 
Totally. Yeah. I mean, I think it goes back to my CrossFit gym and my partnership mm-hmm. and me speaking a little bit about the, the divergence in core values. Um, I think I was, I think because I had such a positive and fruitful experience with individual coaching through my CrossFit career mm-hmm. as a competitor, um, and then also having a lot of personal training clients and then like private, like one-to-one individual coaching clients at the same time as the CrossFit gym was Mm -hmm. the group class thing was running. I started to just see a lot of value in that model of like doing things more personalized for people Mm -hmm. and less of the one size fits all. It's just get people into a group. Um, I, I, you know, in, in hindsight and still to this day, like I, I see all the value in what I was able to do in group fitness and mm-hmm. what group fitness still still offers people. But at the time, it was very much like, I want to explore what it's like to create a fitness business out of more of a one-to-one connection with people and less of a, you know, a one-to-twenty connection. Mm-hmm. And um, how do I how do I make that work? Um, and then the other part that was motivating for me was that you know, I was in the gym and I was like surrounded by other young coaches that were around my age. Mm-hmm. Uh, cause like the, that, that was it. It was like most CrossFit gyms were like, you know, an owner and then these young coaches that are like doing the classes and, and doing mm-hmm. the work. And, um, I'm like, I'm, I'm like, fitness is going to be my career. Yeah. And then, but just seeing other people my age or a little bit younger, just like, having to having to go find other jobs or not being able to sustain in coaching and just burning mm-hmm. out and feeling like, whoa, like these are all my friends. These are the people that I like really want to be around and want to spend time with. And I I want to have colleagues like my dad and my mom had for 30 years. Yeah. But at this rate, I haven't had a person I've worked side by side with for more than like 18 months without them leaving. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, that's kind of messed up. Like, what's going on there? Why is that happening? So like, how do I, I want to explore like how to answer these two questions. How do I get people to hang around longer that want to do this and really are maybe good at it? Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe a different model that could help those coaches and then try to see what personalized fitness can look like a little bit more so than um, group design. Mm-hmm. And so those were sort of the things that, I founded Revival Strength on, um, and I was doing a lot of online coaching, you know, individual online coaching for mostly people that were like competitive in in the sport because Mm -hmm. that was what I was doing and that's what they saw and that's what I was talking about a lot. Um, But I also knew that there was a place for for this type of fitness for just general population uh, Mm -hmm. clients, and so I stuck to that. And and there was like about 12 months where I was sort of <clears throat> in an agreement to not open up a facility. So I was really kind of limited to just being a, a virtual coach to people. Mm-hmm. I did some personal training like in a small studio that I had built mm-hmm. out. But um, so that was that was kind of how things began. And then really, uh, those are still very present within Revival Strength to this day. I mean, we. We coach over 300 clients that are all over the world, some local in Marin County that come to our facility and they do personalized fitness programs, mm-hmm. you know, in a, in a group environment. Uh, some people that are just getting remote coaching uh, from us that are different countries, different parts of, 
the U.S. Um, <clears throat> and then along the way, there was sort of like a, a style to my training and my coaching mm-hmm. and the way I talked about it on social media that uh, was, was unique enough. And, and uh, I mean, unique enough to catch people's attention. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's definitely like the, this collection of my experiences over the years of, you know, how do I train to feel good and heal myself from stressful times? And then of course, how do I train to be like elite, you know, mm-hmm. and then what's, what, you know, what's sport, what's health, what's the middle ground. And it's, I kind of coined this like thing about functional bodybuilding early on in 2017. And um, yeah. it's kind of been this thing that's, that's, I've, I mean, I've worked hard to message about it and, and let it kind of attach to, to our brand. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, and now that's a big part of what Revival Strength stands for is putting out education and, and training experiences for people to learn what that way of training is, mm-hmm. uh, what that style of training can look like. And, um, you know, I have these like online group training programs that people can participate in, which is interesting because it was like, that was not what the business was founded upon. It was founded mm-hmm. upon more like a, a one-to-one, you know, experience. But I just saw the the need and the value of giving people a, a, an experience of, of a new style of, of mm-hmm. training. Something that was, was less about like become the elite and more about like train in a way that connects with the things you love about that, but allow you to maybe do it longer and do mm-hmm. it while also juggling, you know, family life and business and all mm-hmm. the things I was going through in my own life. So it was, so yeah, in a nutshell, it's, you know, an individual coaching business that's designed to try and create careers for coaches that can really last a long time mm-hmm. and then delivering education around, you know, using functional bodybuilding in a way that can support athletes, thinking athletes, coaches, personal trainers, group fitness facilities. I mean, it's touched, I think, a lot of different areas in the in the fitness community. Definitely. And what is, so can you explain what it would be the difference or what is the difference between like what you would think of as a traditional CrossFit style workout or what you would get in a normal group class and an affiliate and what the distinction is with functional bodybuilding and kind of the purpose behind that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, and it's hard, it's hard to really like generalize about what's the, what people are going to get in a, in a, in a typical box, because at this point there's so much variation out there and there's so many people that are implementing principles of functional bodybuilding. Maybe they're calling it something else, but there's similarities there. Um, They may have gotten it from me or they may have gotten it from another source. But in in the original kind of model of, you know, CrossFit, it was, you know, high intensity, constantly varied high intensity functional movements, right? And the the whiteboard was a test. It was like, go in and test yourself. Mm-hmm. What's the best that you can do in this constantly changing environment of movement, load, time duration, uh, task versus time priority, et cetera. And so... I look at that as like that's high intensity testing fitness, like on a regular basis with the um, the intent to try and over time 
let that improve people's health characteristics mm-hmm. uh, versus more of like a, you know, looking at other fitness methods and models over the years where there was, you know, periodization built into every aspect of training, mm-hmm. right? Like uh, CrossFit was sort of the antithesis of periodization versus, you know, whereas most powerlifting programs or endurance programs or, you know, gymnastics, pro- there's periodization built into those in, mm-hmm. in history of mm-hmm. fitness. And then also seeing that, you know, most, most people that train for the sport um, of fitness were not doing the, this model. They were actually periodizing in most mm-hmm. everything that they were doing mm-hmm. and re- recognizing that periodization had this really valuable uh, quality to it where there's, you build in control and it, through periods of time of people's training control being like we're not going to go to our max we're going to hold back a little bit because we want to be ready to go to our max at a specific time and and that in that kind of sweet spot of like not being lazy but not going to our max and having this control is where people see really they can see great results and they can avoid some of the uh the drawbacks that may come from being up at the top, right? Mm-hmm. Like pushing the max. Right. And so that is kind of like, well, that's what I believe in for, mo- for my clients and mm-hmm. for the people I train for myself. And when you put control points into training, you start to implement things that wouldn't, wouldn't have shown up on .com early on. Right. Dot com was five, 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 five back squat. It was three rounds for time. It was a chipper. It was run 5K at your best time possible. Right. There's Mm -hmm. no go at 60 percent, go at 70 percent. There's no there's no tempo associated with the lift. There's no rest period attached to intervals. There's no I mean, aside from like a Tabata, but even still, that's a test. So, like, okay, well, how do we implement control points? This is how we do it. We we prescribe tempo to resistance training. We implement, uh, you know, rest periods within some of our conditioning. We also expand the movement library a lot outside of like the, uh, you know, the nine fundamental movements of CrossFit and their accessory movements that go with it, box jump, Mm -hmm. burpee, et cetera. Like we're going to really expand that, that library of exercise selection, Mm -hmm. um, to get people to move in unique patterns that, don't produce a lot of power and don't are not very measurable, but they're still effective. Like mm-hmm. doing a rear foot elevated split squat or doing a landmine rotational press. These are mm-hmm. great tools, but it's hard to like prescribe a 21-15-9 of Bulgarian split squats and landmine rotational presses. So it didn't show up there. Right. Uh, and then, and then lastly, it's like within conditioning. And I think that's the area where um, most people find it difficult to learn how to implement control using um, exercise selection to really make sure that our clients are doing movements at, at levels of fatigue that won't put them at risk. So mm-hmm. rather than a tw- let's say a 20 minute AMRAP of burpees, thrusters and kipping pull-ups. Okay. Uh, versus 20 minute AMRAP of push a heavy sled, do a farmer's carry mm-hmm. and do some step ups. Yeah. Right. So the, the skill level, the requirement, the complexity of those movements, the 
uh, margin for error, vastly different. And of course, recognizing like who the client is and seeing that most of the clients that we're dealing with in these environments that are general population that want to look good, feel good, they, they want to enrich their life, not take away from it. They're probably more on the spectrum of, I need to push a sled, do some step ups, um, you know, and, and whatever the other one I said, Oh, farmers mm-hmm. carry. Right. And, and that they actually don't even have the requisite strength or the skill capacity to do 70 burpees, 70 thrusters, and 70 kipping chin-ups in the 20-minute time span. Maybe they don't even have like the strength to do one of those reps correctly or with great, um, you know, mechanics and, uh, um, you know, efficiency. So that was a super long-winded answer, but it's like, that's, that's kind of where I've gravitated towards. And so I had to put, I had, that's what I was speaking about. And that's what I was showcasing, not mm-hmm. only within my games training, but then the subsequent training that came after it, where I was healing my body from a, a tough mm-hmm. road that I had been on. And people and saw you that. Found, it, yeah, that that, that, that that was helping you to heal some of your injuries and to be um, kind of heal from the intense training that you had been doing before the game. Yeah. I mean, we're so resilient as people that we can deal mm-hmm. with a lot of stuff. And if you pull back on the intensity and you give your body a chance to heal, we're also remarkable healers. You know, you give yourself the right ingredients, we'll heal from, I mean, from a lot. And yeah. um, I had to go through that experience firsthand and people watched me go through that experience and they're like, Marcus, what are you doing? I want to try that. What's that thing? And so I had to give it a name. Um, I mean, I intentionally gave it a name to let it create a, an identity mm-hmm. and now it's like a couple years into it it's like there's a very you know clear look and feel to doing functional bodybuilding workouts mm-hmm. that uh that people that do our program and they go to a global gym or they go to their box and they're doing their workout someone will come up to them inevitably and be like oh you're doing a you're doing functional bodybuilding like they just mm-hmm. see it they know it when they see it they're it's not like what's that, you know, or like, or it's, they get the what's that, but they definitely don't get like, oh, you're doing CrossFit. Mm-hmm. Because it just, it has too many things that like, limit the amount of high intensity that you can actually execute. Um, so yeah. And then how often do you do high intensity pieces or more traditional type workouts? Yeah, or do no. you do like test benchmark workouts or things like that? Yeah, that it was, um and I'm, 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 I try and be really like outspoken about this now too, is because I don't want to get lumped into like, we're just like, we're always on cruise control in our, mm-hmm. in, with our coaching, with our clients. I had a consult with a woman this morning who's like, well, you know, is there still room for any of that high intensity? And I'm like, absolutely. You know, but you got to tell me that you're doing all the right things on your end mm-hmm. to kind of earn the, earn the intensity. You got to earn intensity. In my opinion, I don't think intensity is uh, actually, I, I strongly disagree with the notion that intensity is the thing that's going to fix all your problems if your problems are rooted in having too much intensity in the other aspects of your life. If you're stressed out to the max, if you eat a crap diet, if you do all these things that are like elevating your stress load and then you're like, well, let me go do this mega stressful workout. That's going to totally balance me. That's, that's just, that's not the, that's not the message that we're speaking. It's like, nope. So I personally do, you know, 
one to two workouts, like, you know, time workouts a week mm-hmm. that like, I'm like, I'm going to go for it. Mm-hmm. And I feel it for sure. And I'm less able to engage with my daughters that evening at dinner, <laughs> you know, like I'm <laughs> a little more tired. And, um, you know, some of my clients who are still young, some of our, you know, our businesses clients that are still young and want to compete and they don't have a lot of stress on their plate, like they might be doing more than that. Mm-hmm. Um, some of our, our, you know, general population clients that come in, they might not do any, you know, like they might just be doing, you know, like variations of cardio that are moderate intensity and they might be doing resistance training and then trying to clean up their diet and clean up their, you know, their sleep patterns. Um, and that's what's best for them. So it's, it's really, that's the part that I always knew had to be individualized, you know? Yeah. I can have 10 people in the room all doing back squats or some squat like at the same time, but this person's ready to go heavy in a back squat. And this person needs to be doing like wall sits Mm-hmm. And, or I can have 10 people doing, you know, airdyne, but only two people can really tolerate doing sprints on that airdyne right now. Five of them need to be doing like, you know, 85% effort. And then the other two need to just literally be like gently pedaling and getting off every couple minutes to go do a plank. And that's what's best for them. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, it's that variable that really needs to be you know, ratcheted up and down, depending upon what we evaluate in that client's life, you know, all the factors. Yeah. And I love that looking at what's going on in a person's whole life because often that, you know, things that we talk about, we talk about nutrition, but I think it's not talked about enough in terms of generally the type of people that are attracted to walking into a CrossFit affiliate or people who are living high intensity lifestyles outside the gym. And um, exercise, you know, people often think of as their stress relief. But if if the exercise is very high intensity and and exercise itself is a stress on the body. um, And so we need to then create if they're not if we're not able to create other areas where we can offload that and get into more of a relaxation mode, then over time, that's just added to the whole picture of overstressing of the system. and I think, you know, we, we certainly see that. I mean, I see, we see that in ourselves. I see, I see even like you look at the high level athletes who are, who we just talked about, who've been doing this for a long time, they're able to do it because that's all they're doing. And when they're not training, they are relaxing. And that time, like helping your body relax is equally as valuable, even if it seems like you're, you know, not being productive or wasting time or whatever. Super, yeah, super well, important to recover from these type of workouts. Yeah. I mean, when you're a professional athlete, which is what the sport looks like now, it's like, you know, to think, <laughs> I always make this joke. I'm like, do you think LeBron James has like a side gig that he's like busting right, he's his like ass 30 hours a week for? Coaching like, no. basketball for like, yeah. <laughs> for like he's four hours one on every one day. Session with a basketball, like in the youth basketball program nearby, you're like no right. way, you know? And, um, and not that our sport is there anywhere close to that yet in terms of like the money that can be made and the, and the, you know, the eyes on it, but it's, it's no less difficult physically and emotionally and mentally. So yeah, it's, uh, the, the stress bucket conversation with uh, clients is something we have early on to let them understand and appreciate that physical stress, emotional stress, and mental stress are, you know, you have these three pools and they're all connected 
And if you're filling up two of them or you're filling up your physical bucket with bad food and poor sleep, then remember, if we're going to add in physical stress from training, we're, we're, we're making the situation worse. And there's certain physical training that helps to release that. And that is sustainable aerobic work or, you know, resistance training. When you start to get into lactic training or, you know, threshold training, that's when it starts to fill the bucket up as opposed to release it. And that's a hard one for people to understand and appreciate because they're like, but I feel so good after a, a right. like a hard workout. And I'm like, yeah, it's because you just like turned on all these hormones in your body that are there to like make you feel alive. Like you got right. adrenaline, you got catecholamines flying through your blood and it's like hitting all these receptors and, mm-hmm. and you're like, oh, I'm alive. You know, and it's like, <laughs> yeah. And the, 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 what comes after that, it's compounding this problem. Yeah. And I, it's, it's, it's such a, it's a lesson that I've been taught for years from my mentors. And I, I, I'm so acutely aware of it now at this stage in my life, when I have these other responsibilities and, and things that I, I want to show up and be present for. Mm-hmm. It's like, I mentioned, like, I'll give myself a couple of those tough, tough workouts, you know, like, and even then I know when to like pull back. But yeah. uh, as an example, like three weeks ago, my, my coach was in town mm-hmm. and he gave me a out like a testing workout to kind of see where my fitness is at and he's watching me which as any athlete knows like it levels up your oh, <laughs> intensity yeah. he's just sitting there watching and I I uh I just you know I went to that dark place it hadn't yeah. been there quite some time and I think I you know started to be like maybe TMI for the group but like I think my my digestion was for the next three days like didn't have a normal bowel movement I didn't mm-hmm. sleep well that night and I was just like, I, I think I got sick the, the, the next week. And I was like, okay, so yeah, that's what, that's what something like that can do to me, you know, who generally takes pretty good care of, of my stuff outside mm-hmm. of the gym. Um, mm-hmm. But I really pushed it. And, and so, yeah, it's like the give, the give and take of that. Where is it, where is it worth it? And where is it not? Right. And on that note, what are some of the things that you do outside the gym um, to try to balance that? And I know now, like you said, you're balancing business, family, all these other things. Um, what are some of the constants that you, or like non-negotiable things that you try to do? Um, well, for, for for me and the family, it's like we we try, we're, we have all like almost, try and have hundred percent control over what goes into our body and making sure it's really high quality and that we prepare all our own food. So, you know, a lot of time goes into cooking food and feeding ourselves every single week and going and shopping for food and going to farmer's markets. Um, that's something that I've, we've been committed to for a, a bunch of years. Mm-hmm. Um, but it takes a lot of time, like you said, which, you know, it's an investment and, but it's really, really important. Absolutely. Yeah. And, um, then on top of that, there's, uh, there's sort of just like relate relational time that we really, that my wife has been just instrumental in, uh, prioritizing in our family. Cause like I could so easily just be pulled into work and to be pulled into like my own thoughts about really work, um, all the time, especially running my own business, uh, that, you know, when's the put that time put the put the phone away put the computer away be present let's take time for 
to, to nurture these relationships. And like, you know, my wife and I have like a midweek, uh, you know, date that we like a half day that we essentially take or we either go to therapy together or we take time together to do something that's fun. And mm-hmm. when we don't have kids and we don't have something to, to, to attend to. Uh, so those, those would be, you know, kind of the big, big ones. And then, I mean, you know, sleep and, you know, getting sunshine and, you know, some of the other like kind of lifestyle guidelines that we preach to our clients. Like we, we continue to try and do those things for ourselves, of course. But, um, the other two are really what we probably, I think about the most and mm-hmm. try and make most room for. And as we sort of start wrapping up, this may be kind of repetitive of the question I just asked, but the, the three questions that I always ask at the end of the podcast, the first one is the three things that you do on a regular basis that have the biggest positive impact on your health. Yeah, it's, um, I think, well, one that I didn't say is having a, a like a, about a 90 minute window in the morning where I'm the first and only person awake in the house. Mm, so what time do you wake up? I wake up about four fifteen in order to get that. Wow. Which That's impressive. <laughs> it's, it's, I don't, I don't, I just, yeah, I don't like to think of it as impressive because I'm doing it as like out of necessity. Like I, um, if I, if it was up to me, I would wake up at, you know, five thirty or six and then mm-hmm. have my 90 minutes. But the the babies wake up at six, right. you know, so I'm, I gotta, I gotta work backwards so that I can have, it's the only quiet time I have all day. Mm-hmm. Cause I work, I work, my, my office is at the gym. Mm-hmm. I'm in the gym. There's people there all the time, you know, from the moments my kids wake up until they go to bed. It's if I'm at home, I'm on with them. Mm-hmm. And then my wife and I want to have connection time in the evening. Mm-hmm. And I'm somebody that really like, grew up very introverted and very, you know, like relying on my own time, like mm-hmm. where no one's around. And, um, so I think that was the hardest aspect of becoming a father was mm-hmm. losing in a way. And so here, here I am trying to find it with my, you know, early morning wake ups and, um, which I, I really love and I'll wake up at four fifteen some days and be like really tired, but I'm like, mm-hmm. this is going to make me feel better. Yeah. Um, and what then, do you yeah, do in I, that time during those 90 minutes? Um, I do. There's, there's always coffee involved. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there's, uh, <laughs> there's a hot tub and a cold shower that's typically involved. There okay. is, um, there might be like listening to some audiobook or some stretching or, or, you know, if I have, I mean, if I have like work things that are on my mind, that like I want to mm-hmm. plug away at a little bit, I'll do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not a totally set routine, but it's, um, you know, it's definitely got like a, a feel to it. And mm-hmm. when, you know, when my wife wakes up around six and when the baby's up, like it's such a welcomed, like, oh, I have people I get to spend time with yeah. versus when I come home at the end of the day and we all like arrive at the house at the same time and it's chaotic. Mm-hmm. It's like it's such a different experience of yeah. being with family when I get to enter into it at my own pace or when I just get like arrive in it. And, um, so that's, that's number one. And then the, the food thing I think is probably, you know, mm-hmm. something that I, we touched on already, which is so valuable and then movement, you know, mm-hmm. for me. And it's, you know, I, I'm, I'm now, 
I now train six days a week. You know, I, mm-hmm. I used to train five days a week with like double days. And now I'm just like 60 to 90 minutes a day, five, six days a week. Some days are higher intensity than others, but you know, that building some, some training in each day where I get to move in like a somewhat calculated purposeful way. Mm-hmm. Uh, those are often my best days. My day where I'm like, don't have anything scheduled at the yeah. gym. It's ha- often the hardest. And I, and I, I, it's like our Sunday, I get to be with the family more, which I love, but I kind of was like, I kind of wish I could just like hop on a bike and go for a mountain bike ride for, you know, at a scheduled time because that movement. And I, and I do believe we should all be moving towards getting people to move every day. Like a general population person that comes in, they're like, Hey, how many days a week should I work out? And someone's like three days a week. It's like, Nope. Like you should, you should move every day. You have to move every day. And if it if it's a workout or if it's just moving, it needs to happen. So, you know, you know, you program rest days for athletes because they need them to recover and adapt and to get better. Mm-hmm. I don't think we program rest days for our clients who are just looking to just feel good. Like mm-hmm. they should they, they they shouldn't be training so intensely that they need to take a day and a half off to recover from that. I think mm-hmm. it should it should be like there should be movement that happens and yeah, they should get sore from their workouts and feel like maybe not a hundred percent when they come back to the, to move the next day, but that movement that they do should nurture them and get them healthy and, and feeling better faster. Um, so yeah, that's it. Yeah. And like you said, it can be different. It can be going for a mountain bike ride with your family or going for a walk or doing yoga or, you know, any other type of movement. So long as you're moving your body, I think that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and and it, that it's protected uh, specified time. You know mm-hmm. that it, you know, like oh well, I I walked up like a flight of you know a couple flights of stairs yesterday. It's like, but you didn't like premeditate that. Like you gotta, it's gotta be <laughs> that's out of necessity. Scheduled. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, what's one thing that you think would have a big impact on your health, but you have a hard time implementing it? Yeah, I know you asked this question. I thought about <laughs> it. Um, it's a, it's um it was something to do with like meditation and breathing and just stillness um it's you know what knowing how all those things i mentioned like whatever that practice looks like where people can tap or can sort of tune into the level that their nervous system is vibrating at it's like are you mm-hmm. sympathetic are you more parasympathetic um, those two years that I took off between school and medical school taught me a lot about that, about mm-hmm. what it means to like tap in and use your breath and use meditation and to calm down. And, um, it's probably the area I'm most interested in right now in terms of my own health and fitness and then looking and, and observing and like kind of evaluating how, it, what it looks like for other people. Mm-hmm. Um, my time during the day to connect with my own like th- thoughts and feelings and do my meditation is more sympathetic driven. It's when I train mm-hmm. and I don't have that built in yet. I'm not, I've had a, a struggle to build it in and like more of a parasympathetic, like lower my nervous system vibration mm-hmm. um, and, and do some more calming, deeper breathing and belly breathing and that kind of thing. Um, because I just know that the, the, you know, the accumulation of hours up in 
high sympathetic drive versus parasympathetic drive is the, the balance of that. And really we should be more, you know, the parasympathetic nervous system needs to be the dominant one in, in, in our lives. We're the way I approach life and my cult and the culture I'm surrounded by and how I'm wired or how I've tr- trained myself to be wired is like a little bit opposite. So, mm-hmm. uh, and having gone through the experience, Experience of seeing how that imbalance impacts my physical health. So like being, you know, connected to my blood work and seeing what my digestive health has looked like over the years and what the first three years of having these two babies has done to me physically, like mm-hmm. seeing my blood chemistry, seeing my hormone balance, seeing what happened when I was, you know, what competitive CrossFit did to me. Um, yeah, it's just, it's like shining a spotlight on like, I'm, I'm a healthy person by all people's measures. Like Marcus is so healthy. Oh my gosh. He does this. He eats perfect. He trains. Like, yeah, let me show you my blood profile right now. Cause you know, it's like, (laughs) it's like, it's, it doesn't, it's not a picture of health. Like there's some, there's some things that are off. And, um, and I, and I, I know that the, the stress thing is a big part of that. Um, and that's not created by me eating bad food, me overtraining, me having a, you know, deadlines that are crushing me. It's, it's more of like how I think about the, the, the things that are in my way or the obstacles that I face and the thoughts that turn into physiological responses is what probably, you know, somebody in my exact same lifestyle and same environment that has a different way of, of perceiving the world may not feel these things at all. And I know that the path to me connecting to that is through stillness and through breath and through meditation and through some quiet practice. And it's, it's, and it's hard for me to get connected to that despite knowing how important it is. So that's why I'm working very hard towards that now. It's so true. I feel the same way, but it's so important. And it's one of those things that's, it's hard to see, but so many people that, where stress and sleep deprivation are driving that sort of inhibiting them from experiencing that full health when even though they may be eating really well, exercising, doing all those things, those two pieces are so underestimated, I think. Um, Last question is what does a healthy life look like to you? Um, Yeah. I mean, I think it's uh, a lot of the things that we talked about. It's, you know, cooking our own food. It's being connected to what we put into our bodies. It's having, you know, meaningful relationships that you put energy towards creating con- like connection with and, and building something out of those relationships. It looks like moving every day and it looks like uh, getting in touch with or being an observer of the world around you and recognizing that like the speed and the pace that everything is happening at it it does it's not connected to your health it's that's that's driven by things that are actually killing everybody and that if you want to ride that wave and you know then you can easily get swept up into it and like it's going to take a conscious effort to just do something that's you know different and and uh more purposeful Uh, so yeah that's all the things i talked about just Mm -hmm. sort of compiled in a a nutshell. I love it. Well, this has been a wonderful conversation. Um, 
thank you so much for sharing your whole story. And I hope that people will connect with it and learn from it. I know there's a lot of listeners who maybe are considering medical school or considering, um, you know, different paths towards this ultimate vision of how can we help the people around us live healthier lives and reach their full potential. And as you've shown, you can get to that end vision in many different ways. And it's amazing to see, you know, how you're so successful now and able to help people in the way that you want to help them. So thank you for sharing that with us. Thank you for giving me a platform to talk. And I love seeing that you're doing, you're, you're approaching that same vision uh, and you're doing it with, within the medical industry and you're doing it as a physician. And it is totally, I think we probably had a lot of the same um, drive and goals and kind of vision and core values heading into medicine. And we took different paths. We crossed paths at the 2014 games and then <laughs> and we diverged. And yeah. um, it's so cool to see you and uh, doing, doing it your own way. Um, so I totally admire that so much. Well, thank you. Because I know yeah. how hard it is. I know <laughs> I had a glimpse into just how hard it is. <laughs> well, it's taking quite a while, but it's um, we're almost there. So, yeah. um, and we're all, you know, at the end of the day, we're all kind of on the same team trying to help people be totally. healthy. So, you got it. Awesome. Well, thank you, Marcus. Thanks, Julie, so much. Hey there, thanks so much for tuning into this episode. I connected with Marcus on so many points in this conversation, but as usual, here are some of my biggest takeaways. Number one was the importance of introspection. So Marcus talked a lot about how impactful his time away was, both prior to starting medical school as well as after he decided to leave in that summertime after his first year. It's so easy for us to get caught up in reaching for the next step of our studies or our career paths, often without taking the time for self-reflection and to really think about the path and whether the path that you're on is really the right one for you. Taking some time away where you can really sit with your own thoughts and not be swayed by the influence of others' expectations can be very valuable and is something that I think we can all benefit from at certain decision points in our lives. So it was great to see that Marcus did that um, when he made his big decision. The second takeaway that I have is on a similar note, and it was how Marcus and I talked a lot about the power of purpose. And we talked about this both in finding purpose for ourselves in our own journeys, but also the importance of helping our clients or our patients to think about their own purpose. This is so important in order to drive changes in behavior or help people reach their goals. If we can connect goals to a specific purpose in life or what motivates people, they're going to be much more successful. So it's a good question to ask yourself, what do you want your own health for? What do you want your fitness for? The third takeaway that I have is about earning intensity. I loved this concept that Marcus talked about. We talk a lot in CrossFit about the charter that CrossFit has with mechanics, consistency, and intensity. So first you have to demonstrate that you can perform the movement, then do it with consistency before you earn the ability to perform it at intensity. And I really liked how Marcus brought other lifestyle factors into the mix. So if you outside the gym in the rest of your life, you're going a million miles an hour, then maybe what your body needs most is just to slow down, to take a deep breath, not more intensity. I've seen this ring true in my own life as things have gotten crazy outside the gym, and I'm sure many of you listening can relate. So making time for relaxation or some low-intensity exercise to balance things out, stretching, all of that can help to build the parasympathetic tone that's so important for our own health. 
So thanks again for tuning in. To make sure you never miss an episode and to receive exclusive content from me, head to my website, juliefouché.com and subscribe to my email list. If you like what you heard, don't forget to subscribe and consider giving the podcast a five-star rating on iTunes. Also, don't forget to share your stories. If you or someone you know has used lifestyle to overcome a serious health challenge, please send me an email at info at juliefouché.com. I'll choose some of these inspiring stories to share here on future episodes. Don't forget you can train with me through Beyond the Whiteboard by visiting trainwithjuliefouché.com. Thank you again so much for listening, and I'll catch you next time on Pursuing Health. This episode is brought to you by ButcherBox. I'm very excited to share with you a brand new offer from ButcherBox this month. In addition to $20 off your first order, ButcherBox is giving away free burgers all summer long. If you go to butcherbox.com forward slash Julie before August 8th, you'll receive a pack of six free burgers in every single box you receive from now all the way until October 15th. If you've been listening to Pursuing Health, it should not come as a surprise to you that I care a whole lot about where my food comes from, and that's especially true when it comes to meat. I do believe that meat can have a place in a well-rounded diet, but there's a huge difference when it comes to animals raised in feedlots that are fed primarily corn and soy and routinely given growth hormones and antibiotics, and those that are responsibly raised, fed their natural diet, and not given any of these growth hormones or antibiotics. It's really, really hard to find high-quality meat like this these days, but ButcherBox makes it super easy because they deliver 100% grass-fed and finished beef, free-range organic chicken, heritage-breed pork, and wild Alaskan sockeye salmon directly to your doorstep. All their products are humanely raised and never, ever given antibiotics or hormones. This gives me personally peace of mind because I know that I can trust my meat is the highest quality out there and is going to taste amazing. Plus, they offer free shipping anywhere in the contiguous 48 United States, which is awesome. ButcherBox has put together a very special deal for all Pursuing Health listeners from now until August 8th. When you order your first box, you'll get $20 off plus a pack of six free burgers in every single box you receive from now until October 15th. This is the perfect way to celebrate summertime with lots of outdoor grilling. Once again, that's butcherbox.com forward slash Julie to get $20 off your first order and free burgers all summer. But hurry up and check it out now because the deal is going to end on August 8th.